Ortega, author of Ghost Squad and Witchlings. And I'm Kat Cho, author of the Gumiho Duology and Once Upon a K-Prom. And this is Ride or Die. Woohoo! Yay! New intro! Woohoo! Yeah, because we're busy. We're so busy. Although, it's so funny because even though this is the first episode of season four we're recording, it's not the first one that's going to (laughs) air. So people will probably have heard this intro. (laughs) Oh, speaking of time travel, can I just say, since I'm in the past right now, I just finished watching Loki. So good. Oh, I haven't finished it. Okay, I won't say anything about it. But if people need a show recommendation and they somehow have been living under a rock, Loki's really good. (laughs) I started it, but have not finished it. So it actually, you know... It invigorated my storyteller brain because I think like as storytellers, like oftentimes when we're watching TV shows or movies or even reading other books, um, we're kind of trying to anticipate what's going to happen next. We can't help Mm -hmm. it. But Loki was genuinely a show where I was like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And that was really exciting for me. Um, That's like the nature of his character, too. That is true. Very, very unexpected. So the fact that the show runs the same trajectory is cool and on brand. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm in this phase right now, too, where I'm kind of like thinking about craft a lot. I'm like trying to get back to basics, you know? So. And and we do have an AMA that's about uh, writing and craft. Ooh. Um, Why don't you. Basics E. Yeah, why don't you read (laughs) that AMA for us, Clarabelle? Sure. Um, Okay, so. Anonymous asks, do you have any tips or books to recommend about leveling up on POV? I'm in a frustrating position where I can tell I'm there craft-wise and just need to fine-tune my prose for a deeper POV, but I'm not quite sure where to begin. This oh is, boy, I've yeah. had journeys with this. <laughs> this is an interesting question because it definitely falls underneath that category of like, it's definitely different for every writer because mm-hmm. it's all about our process and how we perceive humanity and a person's personal journey um Mm -hmm. but for me like when it came to like wanting to deepen my character's pov and like kind of deep dive into like who they are and what makes them tick um the two books that really really helped me if you want to do craft books was the art of character um and then the other one was the emotional craft of fiction Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think I've talked about both of these on the podcast before, but the reason why I do tend to like both of these a lot is that um, they definitely focus on character development over everything else. Like other craft books will have a chapter about character, but they'll mostly be about like how to write a book or like plot right. development. Mm-hmm. These are just about character. So you go really deep dive. Um, Art of character, I would say is, more overarching whereas emotional craft of fiction is like a lot of really good um exercises like each chapter has these little exercises where you answer the question for the character or it says like find a moment like this in your story where the character is experiencing this and now break it down to like these different parts and it really just like helps you understand and it also has a lot of good insight being like Um, One of the ones that I'll give you guys for free right now, but you should buy the book like I do support this book, is that um, he says, of course, we want to make readers feel something right when we're taking them on an emotional journey. But where an 
author can falter is when you think you need to make the reader feel what the character is feeling. But that should never be the case. They should have an emotional reaction to the character being emotional. But it's almost impossible for a reader to feel what the character is feeling because they're not experiencing that themselves. They're observing it. So um, you should release that idea of being like, when my character is sad, the, the reader should be sad. Like just... All you're trying to do is trigger a personal reaction for the reader. And whatever that may be is up to the reader. Um, you can't control what that emotion is going to be. Yeah, um, I definitely uh, co-signed the Emotional Craft of Fiction. That book really helped me um, a lot when I was trying to figure out the voice and like the POV of one of my books. Um and I haven't read the other one, but I trust Kat. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that after like five years of friendship, you finally trust me. <laughs> um, one of the things that I did when I was having a really hard time with my main character um, in, my, in my YA, and I, I'm pretty sure I've talked about this as well, is I kept journal entries in her voice. Um and it didn't have to do anything with like the story per se just like everyday life like I would just write like journal entries in my character's voice and like trying to like get to know her on a level where it was not related to the plot of what I was writing just as a quote-unquote person (laughs) um so that really helped me as like an exercise um for fine-tuning like the deeper pov because like that if you're especially if you're writing third right you have Mm -hmm. to really get in there yeah and i feel like with like like first person it's easier to get a feel for a character but if you're doing third which is i feel really super popular right now then yeah you have to work at it sometimes and just make sure you're really in their head and that was what helped me personally that's really good and you know i i also think that um something that I really like to do but definitely comes from the fact that I'm a natural pantser is to allow the characters emotions and POV and their reactions to a thing kind of guide me to what will happen next in the plot Um, Mm. because oftentimes the way a character reacts to something um, changes like what will happen next um, depending on like what actions they take and I know this is going right. to be really hard for all you plotters out there but I think it's still mm-hmm. possible for someone who's a plotter I think like um, you can still get your story to the place it's going to be but it'll definitely feel more organic if the if you allow your character to go off on whatever tangent they need to get to in order to emotionally earn mm-hmm. the like next plot point um, yeah so because I've because I have done before where I try to force it where I'm like the way that it gets to the next point is this character really needs to be so angry but I'm like but they're not like I I don't know if they would be angry about this like they're not the personality to get angry about that like they're a soft-spoken person or whatever and then I try to force it in and it just feels so unnatural to me Mm -hmm. and I I waste a lot of time with trying to force it instead of really allowing the character to tell me what they want first yeah for sure and there's nothing that takes me out of a story more than feeling the hand of the author um like a heavy hand in like forcing a situation it's like uh this doesn't feel good it's like when you're when you're reading I i recently read a book that i will not name 
that <laughs> the romance felt really forced to me. Mm. And it's like, this is here because it has to be here. But none of this makes sense. Why would this happen? Like, I'm not being given enough reasons um, for this to unfold the way that it is. And mm-hmm. it really frustrated me. And, like, since it was such a central part of the book, nothing else made sense by extension. Because the character was making decisions based on their feelings for another character. But those feelings didn't make sense to me. So, therefore, oh. none of the decisions made sense. So, it just all unraveled. <laughs> I still finish oh. the book. Because I do that. I finish books I hate <laughs> all the time. A lot of people actually do that. I know a lot of people in, in our writer group that does mm. that, too. Yeah, I mean, POV is hard. And, you know, I have done things where if I feel like I'm not feeling it, then I do switch from, like, third person to first person and vice versa to see if that helps. And I know Mm -hmm. that's, like, daunting and scary, especially if you finished writing your book already. Um, But, like, just try it maybe with just, like, one chapter and see how it makes you feel. Yep. Um, and like it might actually just reconfirm that you are right, that you should still be doing the POV that you chose. Um, but this practice has actually been really fun for me in the past. It's actually gotten me to like realize like, oh, it, this should actually be told from multiple POVs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something snaps when you do that sometimes, I feel like. It really, really does. Um, yeah, but it's really hard and it is a personal choice. Um, and sometimes it's so subjective, like it really could go either way. And then you just have to make a choice and stick with it because like you got to trust your instincts <laughs> as, yep. as writers. I think a big part of it is our instincts. I mean, yeah, this question just like really does. It, it's so in line with the way my brain has been functioning lately. And I, I know I've told you this before, Clarabelle of like, um, you know, I've been on kind of a social media hiatus and, and it's really given me a lot of time with just myself where I can't ignore my writing I can't ignore how I feel about my writing how I feel about my stories how I feel about my career all of that stuff and it's like forced me to focus on that and unpack it for myself whether I want to or not but like I actually think it's been really good for me and really healthy for me um it's been helped along by the fact that recently I had a friend come into town who's also a writer and we met up for um, dinner and the whole time like all we talked about was like our favorite storytelling tropes, our favorite movies lately, our favorite books of the past couple of years. Um, and I was like, this is exciting and inspiring. And like, I can't believe like I haven't been doing this more lately. So I really, really want to get back to craft basics. Yeah. Yeah. I think the time for, for Twitter drama discussions are over. Like, <laughs> oh my canceled. gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not even that, like even, even if that not even being in my purview, like just the idea of me being able to talk about craft again, I forgot yeah, about man. how much I loved doing that. I think I really, I, I do, I don't think, I don't blame myself. First of all, like I, 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 I understand how it happened and I do think it happens to a lot of us because once we get thrown into the industry, we're told like, hey, by the way, you're not just a writer anymore. You're also a publicity person. You're also a brand. You're also this and that. Um, yeah. It's no one's fault that we fall into this trap. But I also think that the control we have the control to pull ourselves out of that hole and kind of just be like, no, I just want to talk about like love triangles, which I talked about the other day for like two hours (laughs) yeah I mean I mean I think reevaluating what how we're like 
living our life in general and mm-hmm. <laughs> like constantly <laughs> is really good because I think that you can get stuck in sort of a mindset of like this is just how I am and this is just how my life is and like mm-hmm. it's fine but we we hurt ourselves without realizing all the time and I think what you were saying about like what the industry sort of expects of, of us um, when we get into it is really true because uh, we were talking about this privately but when everyone is doing something around you you feel like it's normal and like that's just the way things mm-hmm. are right so if everybody around you is discussing certain things and like not talking about like craft and if all the panels we're being invited to are not about craft but about our identity you know we're almost like trained to only talk about those things but mm-hmm. it's unhealthy and I also think it's unhealthy to only talk about books you know even yes. just craft with your friends like mm-hmm. you should talk about stupid stuff like you should talk about movies also like you were saying and music and like reality tv or like whatever I think mm-hmm. uh, it's important to be well-rounded and not just be like book machines all the time and definitely not be like gossip machines because it's so bad for your mental health it's like really really bad for your mental health to be that way yeah but so much of publishing is that way um so that's good I'm really proud of you thank that you. you are sort of refocusing your uh your your combos and something that makes you happy and brings you fulfillment and joy and not like paranoia and sadness <laughs> yes I mean also you know when I really do think about it and I know like Maybe this will seem like a stretch, but I see the connection here is that you shouldn't owe your joy to other people, right? Like, because that's a mistake because then they have the right, they have the power to both give it and take it away. And Mm. gossip doesn't exist without other people's actions, right? Because that's what you're gossiping about. So in a lot of ways, if the only time you're having fun with like the people around you or with your social groups is when you can gossip about other people, then you are resting your joy on what other people do and say and that's just really unhealthy like that's why i really and on their their misfortune too like not just what they say but also their misfortune a Mm -hmm. lot of times which Mm -hmm. is like extra shitty (laughs) yeah it's just like there's always such a negative vibe to it no matter what even even as you're like laughing if you're laughing at someone then that's not really joyful that's kind of mean and there's some negativity there as opposed to like we one of the our conversations we we're talking about with my friend who was in town was the fact that she like missed the boat on Liz on um missed the boat on Lizzie McGuire and Hillary Duff in general and how she's like experiencing Hillary Duff for the first time as an actress. Wow. That <laughs> and, is intense. And it was just like this funny, fun conversation where we're like, Oh, these are the Hillary Duff movies you should watch and like this is why they're good and this is why they're silly or whatever and it was just like fun and it was still kind of about story because we were talking about like storytelling and (laughs) in it but um no it was just like it was good it was really really good and and it's so funny because I both you and I other than your anthology Clarabelle we both don't have full books coming out this year Mm -hmm. so of any time for us to like take a step back and be like find the joy again I think this is a good year to do it yeah, for sure. I also do have a paperback coming out September 7th. Everybody go get the Ghost Squad paperback. But um, oh. <laughs> I mean, I do have a paperback coming out. But as this recording comes out, it'll be out already. So oh. that too. <laughs> yeah. That too. Um, but yeah, I think that it's been sort of a long time coming to like step back and reevaluate our relationship with the industry. I think that a lot of times 
you know, we both were online and like in the book world before we were authors, like way before. And like your relationship with other people online and like readers and bloggers completely changes. Um, and the things that sort of are expected of you mm-hmm. completely change. So I think we're at the point where it's like, yeah, it's time to sort of like rethink how we interact with those spaces. And I was talking to another like much more established author and saying the thing I always say, which is like, I never understood why authors were so guarded and now I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Boy, do I get it. Totally. Um, Totally. But I'm okay with that too. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of excited about keeping like not having this extra job on my put on my shoulders and responsibility of Mm -hmm. always having to talk about things and advocate about stuff even if it's just myself um I'm just not willing to to expend myself that way anymore I just want to talk about the things that I'm comfortable with from now on online and there's like something freeing about that like you don't get to dictate what I do and say um and if you don't like it just goodbye (laughs) (laughs) goodbye like yeah as long as you know like that you truly know and you know you're not lying to yourself that you're trying your best um you're 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 trying to be a good person you're trying to be to put um be a positive presence within the communities that you exist in i think as long as you know in your heart that that's true then you're probably okay uh, for the Mm -hmm. most for the most part we can always learn (laughs) we can always learn and grow um But, you know, don't be don't be so hard on yourself all the time, too, um, I think is a big lesson here, because I do think we've allowed a lot of us authors who've um, who've become part of the community or come up in the last like five ish years. I think we've absorbed and internalized a lot of responsibility and weight, especially BIPOC. And I think we need to give ourselves permission to let go of some of that weight. Um, yeah big time especially because like people don't appreciate it anyway yeah right (laughs) so what are we doing it for you know what I mean like Uh uh-huh uh-huh like like I've seen people who have dedicated like their entire existence as authors to like bringing equity to publishing just people not just authors but just people in publishing period being called like performative and I'm like you don't know that you don't know the your own history of like this community you claim to be a part of you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so it's it's difficult when you see that when you see that no matter how that not only are you held to a higher standard but no matter how hard we work towards upholding that and towards helping uh this industry become more equitable it's Mm -hmm. never enough yeah it's it's always that you know what it reminds me of like these people from history where you're like did you ever know like all of this good stuff that they did yeah and like you're like no i didn't because like once another person decides that they get to write your narrative and highlight what they want to highlight and erase what they want to erase like it can really affect you know how the public perceives you no matter how Mm -hmm. much good you've done in the past because if someone is hell-bent on erasing all the good you've done in the past just for their narrative of you to be the truth then it's really hard to fight against that. But I think like, you know, we're here to write good books. Um, Actually, you know what? Why don't we, before we uh, go into the interview, why don't we, because we just want to talk about great books, what's a really good book that you've read lately, Clarabelle? I really want to like 
just talk about a really good book a really good book um so i'm the kind of person where you ask me like what books have you read lately i'm like i forgot words existed you want me to go first (laughs) um yes please because i need to look at my because i'm usually listening to audiobooks oh actually i have it okay um what is it uh dial a for aunties (laughs) i this book made me laugh so much i thought it was so good um i wasn't expecting all all the sexy parts (laughs) i kind of forgot it was an adult book and i was like oh this is great um and it was just really fun and funny and i really enjoyed jesse's like promo videos Mm -hmm. which was like um imitating her mom and her aunts and then she like actually brought them in to like do like a whole photo shoot together it was brilliant and beautiful and so funny um and the book really just sort of like reflects that and i recommend it it's just, i feel like it's a fun beach read as well Ooh, well this will come out when it's not really beach time but i guess people can go to a winter beach and read it <laughs> I feel like it still works at like a cozy coffee shop. And I guess it also depends where in the world you are. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I guess it's beach time for you. So everyone in Australia, yeah. New Zealand, <laughs> get this book and go to the beach. Um, mine is Legend Born. And, Ooh. and I feel like I don't even need to talk about how great this book is because I do think the public. I think everybody knows. knows. <laughs> but this is my personal experience and this is half my podcast. So I just get to talk about it because that's what I want. <laughs> because I'm literally, I'm not even done with it yet, but I'm already obsessed with this book. And it's just, it's one of those books where you read it and you can tell that they're using traditional paranormal romance YA fantasy tropes you can tell they're doing it but it still feels so fresh and you like as you're reading it you're like how are they doing this how are they doing this it's so good it's so exciting like it doesn't feel stale or tired or anything it feels so it feels like it's the first time I'm reading this trope these tropes which is so exciting for me um also just the way that she handles the Arthur Arthur legend and how she like mm. kind of turns that on its head. And it's so familiar. Like it's it feels very familiar. I know the Arthur legend really well. So like I get really excited when I recognize details about it. But she's also kind of making me unpack what I think I know about the legend. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. She's forcing me to reassess what I thought I always knew about this legend. And I'm having so many like, oh my God, that's so true moments. It's just so, it's so good. Like on so many levels, it's a very entertaining read. It's a very thoughtful read. It goes really deep into like social issues without feeling preachy. Um, It makes me feel smarter (laughs) as a reader. (laughs) You know me, like I love my spreadsheets. I love thinking about things and researching things. So I love feeling smarter. So like, I just, I can't recommend this book enough. It deserves all the accolades that it's already gotten. Um, Yeah, it just makes me really like story. So I'm happy. Yay, that sounds good. And we're going to put the links to all the books that we've discussed, including the craft books, mm-hmm. in the show notes. So you can all go pick them up and read them yep. and uh, <laughs> and tell us what you think. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can, like, I guess we're – I don't know where we exist on social media right now, but – When is this going up? In September? September. I'll be back on Twitter. Okay. Uh, <laughs> maybe Instagram. <laughs> maybe <laughs> Just tag us on Instagram. Yeah, you could. Or you can email us. You can email us. We have an email. 
In 18th century France, Marie must select her sister's victims to protect her. But when a child turns up dead, she's forced to break the curse or face who's really become a monster. With perfume magic, snowy forests, a brooding lord, and a girl who becomes a beast, Stalking Shadows is a retelling the way retellings should be done. Fresh and vivid, comparable to Angela Carter's work, Stalking Shadows is available September 14th. I'm super excited about today's guest. We have Jason June with us. Jason June is a gay, genderqueer, list-making, Virgo Sun, Taurus Moon, Pokemon playing writer living in Austin, Texas. If he had a gay agenda, marry the quote of my life, be mom to two extremely pampered Pomeranians, and get accidentally kicked in the face by Kylie Minogue as an extra in her music video would all be crossed off. (laughs) That's the best bio ever and yeah. i want to know more about that kyla no moment but jason how yes. jason june how are you <laughs> i am so excited to be here and i really love how everyone responds to that kylie tidbit on my list i'm sure kylie minogue doesn't remember it at all but it was one of the most like monumental moments of my life <laughs> <laughs> what That's is amazing she- actually i saw the post like the photo the still photo that you posted I think it was on Instagram oh my god of like you in the music video yes. and like honestly this like the logistics of like her up there and all of you guys like under it was it was interesting and, and terrifying and exciting <laughs> at the same time <laughs> I mean especially now in like post COVID where like we were just a massive bodies all on top of each other in that music oh. video and just like dozens of extras riding to Kylie Minogue together and now it's like <laughs> you could not make that music video today no no you could <laughs> not no you could not so were, were you a dancer like a professional dancer or was it just like you happened to become an extra it was just that I happened to become an extra so I had moved to Los Angeles in 2010 and on my days off uh, from working, I would do extra work because they would pay you same day. And that was like the only way I could afford the LA hustle and like paying my rent. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, and so, yeah, I saw, saw this posting for Kylie Minogue. And obviously it was like, if I'm gonna have to be sitting around for 14 hours during the day, I want it to be listening to Kylie Minogue music. Mm-hmm. And they just like, extra casting and music videos, they need so many people. They pretty much, it's almost guaranteed casting when you go in there. And, mm-hmm. So I just got picked for that. And uh, Joseph Kahn was the director who's directed so many amazing iconic pop music videos, like so many Britney Spears things, the Womanizer video and the Toxic video. And so it was just like such an amazing moment. That's so cool. I love that so much. (laughs) I like to think that you're like one of her favorite stories to tell. Like, yeah. one time I accidentally kicked an extra in my music video, and it's, like, the story she tells at dinner. Yeah. Sort of like She's like, oh, it was Madonna. so awkward, but he took it so well and so grateful. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet. I would die if she told that story. I mean, I'm sure on tour and everything, there have been way worse injuries with her and her dancers that her just gently nicking my face with her heel probably didn't even register, but I would love if it did. <laughs> <laughs> I have a less exciting story because I did extra work in New York when I first moved here. I was on an episode of Law & Order SVU and Munch actually accidentally slapped me in the face. 
Uh, and, but like that, I was like that's that not as exciting fantastic. he's like an old white guy I guess it's okay whatever but like I don't, I would, Kyla Minogue been hit by a celebrity <laughs> yeah let's all try to go out everyone listening make it your life goal to go out and get hit by a celebrity <laughs> no that's not a good life goal <laughs> it would be interesting people would be like what's this uptick of people trying to get slapped by celebrities like who did this <laughs> Yeah, a slap for a cause. Yeah, <laughs> get slapped and I then mean, and then donate ten dollars to like yeah. a, a charity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, sorry, we went off t- uh, tangent. This is I've... a podcast about writing. <laughs> Occasionally, I'm so excited. So when I got invited by you two, I was so 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 excited. First of all, because I love this podcast. Hi. I love your books. I just finished Ghost Squad, Clarabelle, and oh. loved it. And I oh. cannot wait for Witchlings. It oh. sounds so good. And Cat Wicked Fox was one of my favorite reads last year. Oh and I just cannot wait <laughs> for Once Upon a K Prom. That sounds so, so, so amazing. Thank you. Oh my goodness. You. This so is so sweet. sweet. You're so sweet. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I very much am in love with rom coms and that's why I wanted to write Once Upon a Crave Prom. So let's talk about your writing because you wrote yeah. a rom com. Um, but let's yes. rewind it first and see what the story is of how you first got into writing, how you got your agent, how you got your book deal. Take us on the journey of how you became Jason June published author. Yes. So I always wrote when I was a kid, like I went to Montessori school and the structure of that was like, based on your grade, you had certain minimum requirements every week of every subject you had to do, like math, science, English, all of that. And then in your free time, you still had to do one of the subjects, but you could choose whichever one you wanted. Um, And so for me, it was always writing and reading and creating stories. And it started with me like I would copy down word for word uh, movies I really liked as a kid and make my friends act them out with me. And the number one thing that we would put on was Labyrinth starring David Bowie and Jennifer Connelly. Mm -hmm. And I would rewrite all these scenes. And it was in the act of doing that when I was like seven years old that I realized Oh, like the whole heartbeat of a movie is the words and figuring that out like with stories too. Or then I would start to read all the Animorphs books and being like, it's just these letters on a page that are freaking me out and like making my whole heart race in the best way and realizing from there that I wanted to write stories. And then for whatever reason, like I even took creative writing all the way through high school. And then I graduated high school and it was like a switch flipped. And there was a giant naysayer in my mind where I was like, everyone wants to get a book published. This will never happen. You shouldn't seriously pursue this. It's unrealistic for a job. So instead I got my undergraduate degree in journalism where I was like, it's some writing, uh, but you know, there's a newspaper in every city, hopefully, or a news outlet as more newspapers uh, started going under where I could at least maybe write online. But then as I got more and more into journalism and I moved to Los Angeles and did entertainment news, I realized that I really freaking hated it. It was like the Mm -hmm. worst choice for me because it's all about finding the dirt in somebody's life. And I do not like being that vehicle for negativity for folks. Um, But when I would like wait on red carpets and have to like wait around to do interviews and stuff, I'd always be reading. And it was usually a young adult book or a middle grade book. And 
still with the naysayer in my mind, I was like, well, maybe try the business side of things. And I got an internship at a literary agency and then became an assistant there. And it was at that agency that I was like, oh my gosh, watching all these authors have their dreams come true and get their books published were, I really realized that's what I need to do. It's what I always wanted to do. And I just need to like push that naysayer aside. And at that agency, one of my jobs would be to read my boss's query letters and she would still read all of them too. But in her training me, she would say, we'd have this color coded system where it would be like, uh, what queries do you think are something that I would want to read more pages of? And when it came to picture books, I was always wrong. I could not figure out picture books for the life of me. <laughs> and it was like trying to figure out you know, how to tell a whole story in under 500 words, but not be too explanatory of things showed in illustrations. I just could not figure that out. So I started taking picture book writing courses. And once I did that, I really got that extra bug where it was like, oh, creating these is so much fun. It's helping me understand the structure. And I'm realizing in the act of writing them that it won't be enough for me just to represent people in my life. I need to be the one creating books. So that's when I took the leap and actually got my start in picture books. And it was at one of those picture book writing classes that I met uh, Erin Murphy, who is the head of the Erin Murphy Literary Agency. And she read all my stuff and she was like, you know, when you're ready to query, please feel free to query me. And this was in 2014. And then um, from there, it was just like six weeks later where I was like, you know what? You have these things now. Don't get in your head too much, doubting yourself and query Erin. And she was so lovely. And she was like, you know what? I really want you at this agency. Would you be interested in signing with somebody else here at the agency? And I was so on board. And that's when I got my first agent, Trisha Lawrence. And it happened so fast. It was like that one picture book writing class happened in 2014 where I met Aaron and, or, uh, excuse me, September, 2014. And I signed with Trisha in early December, 2014. So I really didn't have the whole like query trenches experience. And then a couple months later, we sold my first picture book, which was Hubert Hoover. Uh, and then nine months after that, we sold my option picture book, which is Porcupine Cupid. And then it was nothing. So it was like, I had this huge, thing where I thought, oh my God, this is going to be easy. I don't know what people are talking about. This is hard. <laughs> and like a, like a <laughs> loser jerk. <laughs> I thought that. And then, and then for over three and a half years, I didn't sell anything. And it was just this whole shallow period of just nothing happening. And I knew I wanted to go into novels. I wrote three middle grade fantasy novels in that time. None of them landed. Uh, Trish and I decided that we were just on different paths. It was a, a amicable split. And then I got into contemporary YA, just still trying to make these novel things happen. And that was finally what made it happen. That helped me get my new agent, who's Brent Taylor. And we've been together for two years now. And uh, we signed in June 2019. And Jay's Gay Agenda sold in August 2019 and in a two-book deal. So it was just like, Kind of those ups and downs of the writing roller coaster, you know, where one second can be like, oh, everything's hitting. It's so great. And then it's just kind of those like, oh, wait a minute. It's mm -hmm. hardcore crickets that I yeah. <laughs> feel so many of us go through, you know? <laughs> yes, totally. I totally agree. And and the thing is, is like with a journey like yours, like 
I think that it's so great for you to share it and it's so great for people to hear about it because I do think there's so many myths out there. And we've said this before in the podcast, like the idea where like, if only I can get an agent, then everything will be fine. Or if only I can sell that first debut book, then I'll have a full career. And the unfortunate reality is that's not true. Um, Mm -hmm. But the worst thing that can happen for someone is for them to not know about that going in and be disillusioned because especially for diverse authors like ourselves, like there's so many other things that are standing in our way uh, for us to be disillusioned because of misinformation or unrealistic expectations is going to be really harsh on our like morale. So thank you so much for sharing that journey and, and that story with us and all of our listeners. Completely. I am totally in the same boat with like I feel like we need to be as transparent as we can with each other as authors and with with like pre-published authors too, where they can see that it's not one size fits all, first of all, and that there's no quote unquote right journey and there's mm-hmm. nothing like quote unquote wrong with you. Uh, if it's not happening right now, or if you do have great successes, but then you have hiccups and obstacles, like it's just all a part of the journey. Yes, exactly. And I'm really, really glad that you stuck with it because um, Jay's Gay Agenda, which is your debut book, sounds phenomenal. Um, I'm super duper excited to read it. So um, can you, for our listeners who might not have heard of it yet, can you just give a quick little summary about what the book's about? Yes, and I swear I will be not as verbose as I was in that beginning. <laughs> no, that was fine. You actually summed up a lot pretty yeah. quickly. Like, you did so well. You. <laughs> it was, it was okay, fast-paced. Good. This is my review of your story. It was fast-paced. It was gripping. <laughs> it was entertaining the whole time. You're now signed to the Writer Dial Literary Agency. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad that we... We achieved that in the early part because I was nervous that it was going to be on my mind the whole time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Jay's Gay Agenda follows our titular character, and titular is like my favorite word on the planet, Uh, (laughs) Jay, who is a type A Virgo list maker, and he's the only out queer kid at his rural high school. And so he is uh, on the cusp of his senior year and he's watching all of his straight classmates throughout his high school journey have all these relationship milestones. And he is so annoyed because he literally cannot achieve any of them because there's not another person who would be romantically or sexually interested in him. Mm -hmm. So while he's on the sidelines, he makes this list of all the things he wants to do when he one day meets another boy who likes boys that he calls his gay agenda. And it has... (laughs) all kinds of sweet fun things that he comes up with in his like innocent freshman mind like hold hands for the first time and kiss a boy for the first time and dance with the boy for the first time and then it goes all the way to his nearly 18 year old like hormonal mind too where he's like i just want to get naked with somebody for the first time (laughs) i want to lose my virginity for the first time like i'm just ready for all of this and then the unexpected happens where he thinks he's going to have to wait until college to have any of this happen. But then his mom gets a promotion that takes his family to Seattle, Washington, just before his senior year starts. And so he gets to kind of dive in headfirst. And the novel follows Jay as he gets to crossing items off his gay agenda and all the sort of ups and downs that come with being seen as a romantic and sexual being for the very first time. 
I love that so much. And can I just say, you taking the whole the gay agenda thing and like putting it in the <laughs> title of your book is so funny and so clever. And I just really, really appreciate that so much. For sure. <laughs> Thank you so much. Like, I love that title with every ounce of my soul and just sort of poking fun at like, there is no way the the only shared item all queer people have together is just making sure we're safe and protected and have equal mm-hmm. rights in society and planet Earth. Other than that, there is no master plan. But <laughs> I think it's really fun to think of like how we each have our own gay agendas and what it means to us to be gay and exploring things like what our sexuality is and being okay if we have the answers right now or if we don't have the answers right now and and getting to define what sex and virginity means to us instead of how, just the way that society says it should be. And I think that's just really fun to kind of, especially because I'm also a Virgo list maker, just having these little personal to-dos of our gender and sexuality is like a blast to me. I think that's great. <laughs> yeah, I love I- that so much. I'm I'm a huge list maker. I, I make spreadsheets. Clarabelle, mm-hmm. I make spreadsheets for Clarabelle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm like, you need a spreadsheet for that. Let me send you a spreadsheet that I'll make for that. <laughs> so. I it's, love that it's, so much. Yeah, it's like a lot of the solutions to like uh, sadness or problems that I have, like usually like publishing related stuff, um, Kat will be like, I'll make you a spreadsheet. Like <laughs> we'll have like a long conversation and like the conclusion is Kat making me a spreadsheet to like help me <laughs> with it. And it does help. And it like organizes like my thoughts and like my like the things that I need to do it's just great it's really funny (laughs) answer to everything like I know this is going to sound way too type a for some people but the best thing is my husband is also a list maker and so like even when we go on vacations there's the list of like what day it is and where we're going to be and we don't plan everything to the minute but it's like it's nice to know oh okay at this day we want to make sure we can go see this thing so there's never a moment where we wait till the last minute and oh you know whatever is closed we can't go to this great beach or bar or cathedral or whatever you know i just i just mm-hmm. love it <laughs> yeah no really for sure for sure yeah. um no so okay so you have you said just said that you're also a list making virgo and you gave that yes. to jay your titular character <laughs> now i'm gonna start yes. using it all ah. the time <laughs> it, it is a really good word it's very um, satisfying <laughs> to hear and say is there like is the like seattle thing is did you used to live in seattle like what why did you choose like this specific like setting for him yeah so i started it in eastern washington because that's also where i grew up Mm -hmm. and um i wanted to start there because i think for multiple reasons first when a lot of people hear Washington State, they instantly think of Seattle and assume that like the whole state is this uh, rainy, liberal city paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that's not the whole state. That's definitely Seattle, which is one of my favorite cities on the absolute planet. I did live there and could live there again in a heartbeat. Um, but Eastern Washington was really hard for me because I was this the only out queer kid there, and it's uh, way more conservative and way more scantily populated. So there weren't these um, there weren't these little hubs of queer community that I could find, and I wanted to have that one to sort of uh, show that the Pacific Northwest and Washington State in particular is not a monolith. Uh, Two, to show sort of rural America where I think it's a surprise, especially for 
like friends and people that I've met in big cities, I think there's a lot of well-meaning people that think it's sort of easy to come out now for kids. Mm -hmm. And that's not, (laughs) that's not always the case. People will be like, oh, you know, same-sex marriage is legal now. It's all rainbow and sunshine. And it is for a lot of us, but it's also still really hard for kids in rural America where there literally are communities where there's only one out queer person or no out queer people because they don't feel safe yet. And sort of trying to remind people, not that we need to focus on that sort of loneliness, but to show teen readers if they are in that position where they feel they're on that lonely island. I want those readers to feel seen and know that that experience is valid. And just because it's not easy for them to come out at this current time doesn't mean they're doing their queerness wrong by any means. Uh, And then, yeah. And then it's up in Seattle because that was the city of my queer awakening. It was later in my life than Jay. Uh, It was in college, but Seattle is just such a fabulous city. I love Mm -hmm. it so much. And I think there's something magical about the city where it legitimately is gray and gloomy all the time, still being so magical and the sight of so much joy. Uh, And so, yeah, I just love that city. I love that too. Seattle is really cool. I I had the best time when I went and I was like, is this place real? Like just like the the trees, the way that like the trees are among the buildings, even like when you go to certain places just felt really like fake to me. And like a very like, it's like, I felt like I was in a a movie or something. Mm -hmm. It was just really magic feeling. I think that captures at least how I felt as a one-time visitor to Seattle (laughs) that one time. I love it. It really is so magical. Like, it's the Emerald City because it is this bright, vibrant green, and there's just an energy and a peace there. And I totally agree where you feel like I'm in the middle of a city connected to nature somehow in it all. Yeah, it's really cool. So... I think it, I, I always love when we have authors who sort of started with one kind of um, book in their career and then like branched out to something different. So like you have been a picture book author in the past. How did you how did like having those books out and like putting them out in the world differ from, from your experience with um, Jay's Gay Agenda? Especially, you know, obviously the times are very different right now. <laughs> yeah. um, but just in general, yeah. how, how has the experience been like different and how have you handled uh, debuting during this like chaotic time while well, debuting yeah. with oh, a YA you already sort of debuted before so right it's so different like I feel I feel as if I didn't have any books come out before now uh mainly because like with picture books and chapter books the the kids are so young that they don't have a social media presence like there's not six-year-olds who are tweeting at me how much they love but there are teenagers obviously with their own social media accounts and getting to actually interact with my readers is such a great experience. I really, really, really love it where I can find the people that this book was intended for. And when I say find, I'm not like searching them out, but they will tag me or send me a DM and it's their messages of saying like, I totally related to Jay's story or I wish Jay's story had been published when I was in high school or, uh, teens who are teens now just saying like thank you for showing me all these thoughts where you can show a character that wants to have romance but also is very horny and all of those things are totally great and beautiful and a part of their magical human experience 
And that has been so much fun. Whereas like with readers, I can't hear directly from them. I can hear from librarians and teachers and parents mm. who I also adore hearing from and getting their stories where they're like, my child wants to repeat Hubert over and over. And that's Aww. so much fun. <laughs> but to get that like direct, really well explained and thought out message from a teen reader saying what Jay's story meant to them or what's any of the other characters in there. I get a lot of messages about Max who's Jay's new genderqueer best friend at his new school in Seattle. They just mean so much to me. And I mean, of course that also means like it's, there's more magnified uh, opinions of people that don't like the book too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and not just all sunshine and roses, yeah. but that's all valid too. Like everyone's opinions, uh, whether or not they agree with Jay's choices or like his story, that's all okay. And it's just really cool to see that more in action than I ever can with my picture books. Yeah. Yeah. That must be wild. I don't know what that feels like. I mean, middle grade uh, kids will write me letters all the time, which is really adorable. Um, <laughs> but it's not the same as like the constant sort of like presence of your readers on social media. I imagine as a young adult author. Yeah. It's all, it can be, it can be a lot only in that, like you want to like give everyone personalized attention you want them to feel heard and you want them to feel appreciated because you do really appreciate them but then also there's so many so many hours and you have to write your books too <laughs> like... yes yes I was right in the thick of needing to do final edits for my second YA novel right when Jay came out and so like two weeks later was the deadline for book number two and mm -hmm. it was totally that cat where I wanted to respond to everybody but I was also like I've got to remember what I'm writing right now. And I just, ah! it was, it was the best type of chaos. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And like, it's a, it's kind of like, oh, it's a great problem to have. Cause like you have readers who want to talk to you on social media. That's such a yes. great thing to have. Um, but I've definitely, I mean, I'm just going to expose my like, thinking here but like when I first became like an author I was like um the only thing that I'm gonna have time for is to like everything so I just would like like everything and then I would think but I was like no 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 I have to go back and comment I have to I have to so then like hours later <laughs> after it was apparent that I had definitely already seen the post and liked it I'm like I comment something and they're like what is she doing like <laughs> I can imagine them being like this author is so manic <laughs> like what is she doing <laughs> I do the exact same thing. And then I get super into my head where I'm like, well, wait a minute. I commented on this other person's tagged post about the book. So what if they see my comment on that and then get their feelings hurt that I didn't comment on their tagged post about it. So I better go back and comment on that post. I do the exact same thing. Yes, totally. <laughs> and so any reader who's out there and wondering how authors create their online persona, it's pure chaos. We're just like anxiety spirals all over the place <laughs> yes constant worry <laughs> yes but again a good problem to have because it means readers do want to like interact with us and talk to us which is lovely um and so i think that's really great i mean the community that comes up around ya like it's it's interesting because even though it's very it is very robust on social media it is still like such a small part of the bigger community yeah so um it's just like really interesting to see like what actual what people are talking about online versus like what publishing what like the industry actually thinks is like you know happening <laughs> right exactly 
Um, so, uh, you know, because you've worked behind the scenes, you've worked at a literary agency and because you've been around for a bit, like I'm sure that you've made observations about, you know, I hate this word, but trends, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and because of your very unique experience of writing in different age categories, one of the things that we like to try to do is not just to give craft advice to our listeners, but to give career advice. And so like, is there some kind of career advice that you might, you know, be able to give, especially someone who's thinking of writing in more than one age category um, or, you know, tried one and and doesn't think it's going to happen is thinking of going to the other and is oscillating like, like anything that helped you make your career decisions along the way. Yeah. Um, I would say, first of all, if you're thinking of writing in multiple age ranges, absolutely do it. I think there used to be this sort of thought that you needed to stick in one lane for anything that was deemed children's books. So YA and that you couldn't really cross over, but those days are done. And I think even now we're seeing more where these barricades that were kind of arbitrary that we would put up for writers are getting smashed down. Like another thing I can think of is it's seeming way more and more uh, of a regular thing to see a book author somehow end up writing the screenplays and scripts for either a movie or a TV Mm -hmm. version of their show. And that's magical. So don't limit yourself is my biggest advice. Don't think like I did when I was deciding what to do with my career. Don't think, oh, I can't do this because so many people want to do it. There's no way it's going to happen. But when you decide to do something, really commit to it. Don't become uh, spread too thin by trying to do all these things. So like if you want to get into picture books uh, and if you're not agented yet, don't just write one picture book manuscript and call it good. Have at least like three, four really polished picture books show that you have this breadth of picture books you can you can write Mm -hmm. if you if you're already agented I think it's totally fine if you just start with one and get your agent's feedback um, because they're not going to be able to submit everything all at once anyhow and then um, when you're getting into full-length novel manuscripts just really commit to those two and figure out the best way that your brain works hopping between projects for me I have to separate uh, I have to separate age range projects that I'm working for, like from time of day. I'll start in the morning with uh, with my novels and then do a little lunch and then go to the afternoon and do a couple hours with picture books or with chapter books and then end the day out with a little bit of back into the novel where it's just kind of like giving your brain a chance to hop around so you're not getting too fatigued in one age range. Mm-hmm. Um and then just like stalling everywhere. And I also think it's good to be at different uh, different spots in each manuscript. So like if you're first drafting one thing to then be revising something else or outlining something else, so you're not uh, in the exact same spot with multiple projects at the same time. Because at least for me, I, then I start to cross my wires and it's not fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I could totally see it. If you're drafting two different age category books, then your voice might accidentally shift inadvertently. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That sometimes things will start to read too young or too old. Usually for me, it'll be things starting to read too young if I hop around mm-hmm. uh, or if I'm in the same space with multiple projects. Um, so, yeah, that would be my biggest piece of advice for that. That's really good advice. I really like that. It, it seems like reasonable, but also like don't 
you know, limit yourself at the same time, which I think is a healthy balance. (laughs) Exactly. Like we're, we have so many other obstacles to deal with outside of ourselves that then if all of a sudden we become an obstacle, it's just like, love yourself, lady. You got this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I love that so much and I really super agree I've been talking to Kat about this um, also in terms of like how we sometimes limit ourselves when it comes to mm-hmm. writing and like writing is such a skill that can be used in so many different um, industries and like mediums and like we should exploit the heck out of that <laughs> like yeah mm-hmm. let's write some scripts let's write for TV let's let's, yes. let's try our hand at these things and see what we're good at like I when I wrote my first graphic novel script I was like in heaven like it felt like you know those satisfying videos you watch on TikTok of like something mm. fitting like perfectly into like something else? Like that's how I felt. Like, oh my God, my brain is like so happy right now. Um and I would have never I love everything about that. Yeah, I would have and I would have never known that. Like I love writing graphic novel scripts had I not like taken the leap to try to do that. And it was scary at first because I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. But you pick it up quick. You really do. <laughs> completely like we're all writers you know how to write and it's then it's just like you know stretching your legs and figuring out new modes of writing absolutely i love that advice we're on the same page here everyone's on the same page we all agree we're all amazing (laughs) geniuses who agree with each other (laughs) yes (laughs) Uh, oh i did have a question and now i just forgot blanked I was joking too much, around too much. Great job, Kat. It's actually my fault. <laughs> my own damn fault. Too, oh, too celebratory. Okay, go. I did. I remember now. Okay, so so this is a little bit more of a process um, admin question for you, but we have we usually have like middle grade, young adult, adult fiction authors on the podcast. You're actually probably one of our first that started out with picture book and I do think that some of our listeners might have a question about what differs between preparing a manuscript for a picture book and submitting a manuscript for a picture book versus a longer manuscript for like middle grade and above so do you mind kind of going into like how you think picture book um, submission might differ absolutely Uh, so in terms of like just straight up formatting wise the biggest thing I find when I'm doing like picture book critiques for folks is that they'll explain things in the text that could be shown in the art. And that's um, the biggest thing you should try to avoid in a picture book. Like it's in the name, it's a picture book. So the, <laughs> the pictures will be able to show all the things that you would have to describe in exposition in a novel. So you don't have to describe setting or time of day or what people are wearing, unless it's something that is so, so, so pivotal to the plot and your main character's sense of being that it needs to be pointed out. Um, so avoid that. And then also avoid, unlike a novel, where if you're writing a novel by yourself instead of co-writing, a picture book has two creators and this isn't, uh, it's not a my book situation when you're doing a picture book. It's an our book situation if you're only an author and not an author illustrator. So like I am, I do not draw. I'm the worst drawer imaginable, except for like doodled brontosauruses that I could do sometimes. <laughs> um, but don't start to step on the toes of the illustrator in your manuscripts mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. 
so often uh, they will have images and ideas of what the art could be from your words alone. So you don't need to give them art and art directives. There can be times where you might want to just gently point something out in a note uh, just to be sure that everyone is following along because a great strength of a picture book writer is if you can write visually. So uh, that means your your text is going to evoke art that is not just a literal interpretation of what your words say. So there could be times where your text is sort of ironic or sarcastic or is opposite of what should be happening in the art. And that's part of the beautiful interplay of your words and pictures. So that would be an appropriate time to say, hey, like in my first picture book, Hubert Hoover, Hubert is a dense detective and he totally misinterprets every clue. Like he assumes this possum has been, <laughs> he assumes a possum has been murdered, but the possum is just playing possum. So he comes. His... Oh my God. I love him. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you so he assumes like the worst every time he finds a clue he assumes that it's another way to point out how another forest creature has killed this possum and so instead i had to put in the art notes hey p.s i know hubert is saying like uh this this frog must have drowned the possum in his frog slime but that's not what happened uh and <laughs> then would give like a little suggestion of what could actually be happening so <clears throat> that's my biggest thing is just when we're novelists, we want, we're supposed to be describing setting and what's going on and what people are feeling. But when you're in picture books, you've got to find that nice balance of not going overboard and letting the illustrator show what is, what is going on really and, and pairing up with your words to show the emotion in the heart of the story as opposed to being told what they should draw. Um, that's my big my big piece of advice and try to keep it. It's, it always sounds so arbitrary when we throw word count numbers out there, but try to keep it under 500 words. And the only reason people say that is because kids are so, so, so smart and they will be able to pick up on feeling and emotion through your words and through your art. And so when the more and more and more words you put in there, the more it starts to become like, Oh, well now you're like pounding it into our heads here, what we should be thinking and feeling mm -hmm. as opposed to if you can pair it back a little bit and let the kids get lost in your perfectly found words and get yeah. lost in the perfectly matched illustration. That's really where the magic comes in. So it's not like people are throwing around a number just to give you a number, but it's really to find the right kind of magic for your readers. And the, funny thing about picture books is many times your readers can't actually read. So this is a whole delicate dance of not going overboard on, on the words uh, and the, the physical amount of text in there. That's, I love that. And it's all like so interesting to me because I don't write picture books, but I actually do read them a lot because I have a like two and a half year old niece. <laughs> and I will say oh. as the person who has to read the books to her, when people over explain the prose, I didn't even think about this until you just said it. But when I'm reading it to her and the prose is over explaining things, I get annoyed because I'm yeah. like, this is annoying. Just tell me the fun stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. It's like, get to the heart of it. Let us feel something as opposed to being just told something. It's that whole like cliche show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. And but sometimes there's like truth to those cliches. <laughs> it's. Super true. Also, my niece is a genius, though. Like, she's a baby genius, so oh. she, she gets it all. <laughs> um, yeah. But thank you so um, much for that breakdown. That's a really, really good advice. Super helpful. 
I'm glad. I always, it's, you know, it's always a moment where you're like in anything, especially with craft things where we always know what works so well for us. And then sometimes mm-hmm. it can even change between book projects where one novel will write completely differently than we wrote something else. So it always kind of just feels like you're like throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping something sticks. So I hope somebody out there, this stuck. <laughs> I'm sure it will. I'm sure yeah. it will help somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that goes in line with whenever we ask, answer a question. Sometimes we do like AMAs before our episodes. And we are always like, well, it depends. <laughs> like all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's always the, this is so subjective. And here's another subjective thing I'm going to tell you. It sounds like I'm very definitive here. But really, if it doesn't work for you, just pretend I never said it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so we were... Um, in our we were talking in the pre-chat of like just this idea of like going back to just back to basics loving the joy of story just really just enjoying books and enjoying story and not letting all the outside like noise and pressure and opinions of the industry or community get in the way so um kind of to carry on that theme like what's like one thing that just like always brings you joy about story or storytelling or craft uh I love that question so much. The one (laughs) thing that I could read like over and over and over and over and over again, it never gets old for me, is that moment where your lead character like feels the spark of love or romance or attraction with another character. No matter what the story is, that moment where they feel that for somebody else gets me every time. So I mean, that won't apply to every single book out there because not every book has romance, Mm -hmm. but that brings me so much joy where I can just read. Uh, I can <laughs> any, any story where we hit that moment. And I, I like my mind, I totally just zoned out thinking about different ones. <laughs> like Aiden, Aiden Thomas and cemetery boys, that moment where you're just, where you know, there's sparks, even though they're like cantankerous with each other, and, mm-hmm. but you know, there's something there and it's just like, Oh my God, it's so good. And <laughs> love it or I just finished um Kaylin Bayron's This Poison Heart and the moment Mm. where the lead meets this mysterious girl in her new hometown and even though the book is is not really about uh any sort of love with the protagonist outside of the love for her family but still that moment of attraction that she gets with this other girl that's in her new hometown and she's mysterious and she doesn't know if she should be scared of her or intrigued by her or Mm -hmm. what is going on here it's just like so magical to me that whole and I think it could come down to the fact that you know for the last year and a half we've been told we can't be around people and Mm -hmm. I am lucky enough that I'm married and I've been with my husband this whole time so I never had to lose that physical affection but I think I my heart and soul has really gone out to people who are living alone or who were like just getting into the dating scene and then everything was like nope can't do that anymore (laughs) uh be stuck at home so that moment of when two humans can connect with each other and just Mm -hmm. really feel that spark of attraction I think is so magical I love it and I want to include that in all of my novels oh I love that too that's so great thanks for sharing that with us I'm Mm -hmm. just made me like think of all of the romance books that I love and also the ones that I want to (laughs) read so yes Uh, I can never get too much romance I know (laughs) Romance is, yeah, you can never have too much. We were just talking about a, uh, adult romance novel 
earlier. Anyway, that's a sidebar. Okay, Jason June, everybody who's on Ride or Die gives us either their most embarrassing publishing-related story or something they'd wish they'd known before they started. It could be one, the other, both. It's up to you. I don't know that I have, like, a most embarrassing story um, because... I'm just a walking gay Muppet. So like everything I do, I feel like is embarrassing. Um, but I think the thing I wish that I knew when I started was, was it's okay to not have the answers about who you are at this point in time. Like when I first started, I wrote under a different name. I wrote under the name Jane Gallagher, which was my, my previous last name uh, before I got married. And I, was just like very boy and I still like didn't know not what was wrong with me that's the wrong way to put that but I didn't know who I was yet and I knew that there was something missing and it wasn't a few years later until I discovered that the genderqueer side of myself and really it's my femme heart that makes my whole being operate and being able to express that out loud into the world has been really lovely and I think kind of that that whole desert period where I didn't sell anything for almost four years was a time of self-discovery and that was like the universe saying hey this is the time when you're supposed to figure yourself out and I realized that no I'm Jason June and I am a femme personality and I want to incorporate that into who I am as an author and then into my books as well so my like biggest piece of advice to to folks now is don't feel like whatever decision you make today has to be the set in stone for the rest of your life. You can, you can start your journey as a one type of author, and then you can write for different age groups, or you can write different types of stories in different genres, or you can literally become a different person. And that's okay. You can keep your name the same the whole time, or you can change your name, whatever you want to do. That's totally your decision and there's nothing wrong and it's not a thing where it has to be like oh well how are people gonna find your old books if all of a sudden you're a new person or no one's gonna like your contemporaries if all of a sudden you write fantasy now it's like that is just dramatic and a load of malarkey you can (laughs) you can be whoever you want to be and change is a beautiful part of humanhood so it would be very natural that that comes into our authorhood too I love all of what you just said. It was very soothing. And yes. I, th- I think our listeners will really appreciate it. The beautiful thing like about being writers is we have so many stories in our heads. So I feel like uh, so many of us get told by, I don't know if it's people, sometimes it's even people outside of the industry. Sometimes it's people inside the industry where it's just like, oh, but you need to have a lane. You need to have a brand and yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. And it's like, well, I don't know. My brand is human. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is kind of malleable and mm-hmm. being human is all about learning as you go and trying new things out. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think authorhood should be as exciting as our life journeys and that we shouldn't have to be put into one, one corner, you know? Yeah. I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast we had so much fun talking to you about your process and your beautiful books <laughs> thank you so much for having me literally i squealed when i got this invitation i'm so <laughs> happy to be here yay um can you let all of our listeners know where they can find you on the internet yes you can find me on twitter 
TikTok and Instagram at HeyJasonJune, or you can find my website, which is HeyJasonJune.com. Awesome. I, I love a consistent username. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> it makes it so much easier to tell people where to find you. <laughs> it does. Um, okay, but for I'm going to advocate for people who don't have a consistent username and the, my username <laughs> that I had on Twitter, which is literally just my author name, was taken on Instagram. So that yeah, that's not choice. your fault. That that's not, not your choice. fault. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it was taken from me. Anyway, thank you again. Thanks, Jason June. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, Thanks for listening to Write or Die. Be sure to check out Wicked Fox by Kat Cho. And Ghost Squad by Clarabel A. Ortega. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. See you next time, wordies. And don't forget to spread the word.